historical model of dating. Just, you know, by the way, pop quiz. Anyone know where those stories are taken from? It's a, it's a bow, you know? Boaz. Boaz, yeah, Boaz and Ruth. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a biblical mashup of the book of Ruth and then the story of Isaac and Rebecca, if you guys remember that. So anyway, the point is, there's no, there's no one script. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell you a lot of things. There, there's not a script for many questions you have in life. The Bible doesn't tell you where to live. It doesn't tell you what you should study in college. It doesn't tell you what career to go into. Um, and it doesn't tell you whether to get married or whom you should marry. All of those things are what you'd call wisdom issues. Um, and wisdom is simply doing what Jesus would do if he were in your circumstances. Doing what Jesus would do if he were in your circumstances. And so, of course, because the Bible is a book that speaks to every time and every place and every person, uh, it's impossible for the Bible to tell you all the various answers to the various questions you might have. But what it does do is it gives you wisdom. It gives you little nuggets that help you grow into the kind of person who sees, who approaches, and who reacts to things in the way that Jesus would if he were in your circumstances. So tonight, I'm not going to tell you, um, you know, whether you should date. I'm not going to tell you whom you should date. Uh, but I am going to give you some, hopefully, biblical wisdom about dating. Now, now, here's the fun part. You might be asking, where on earth is this wisdom to be found? I mean, I know the Bible says a lot of things, but wisdom about dating? I mean, surely the Bible doesn't have, you know, how can it have wisdom about dating? I've never seen it in there. Well, believe it or not, um, there's a book in the Bible called... Song of Solomon. Perhaps you've heard of this book. And sometimes this book, this, this book has the reputation of simply being kind of quote-unquote the sex book, but not so fast, my friends. Because uh, it's true, the Song of Solomon is a, it's a love poem. I mean, it's a, it's a love poem that's a beautiful, thank you, beautiful, sustained, poetic uh, kind of dialogue between a man and a woman, and it's in praise of marital love, which, you know, by the way, shows you that God is romantic. God's a romantic. He, he loves love. He, he is love. He invented marriage. And so the Song of Solomon uh, celebrates it. Now, uh, it, just, you know, beware. It's true that parts of Song of Solomon are rated R. Um, and that's actually uh, everything from about chapter 4 onward. Because in chapter 4, they get married. But in chapters 1 through 3, they're not married. They're just, they're just dating. And so uh, it's okay. We're, we're, we're only going to look at those chapters. And uh, actually, believe it or not, when you look at chapters 1 through 3 um, of the book of Song of Solomon, there's actually some pretty remarkable wisdom about dating that you can find in those chapters. So, um, let's look at it. Uh, what I'm going to do this week is I'm going to give you three overarching kind of wisdom areas about whether the guy who's caught your eye or whether the gal who is your pal is a good candidate to date. So, uh, these are things to think about before you get into a relationship. And then next week, what we're going to do is we're going to come back to this book and we're going to look at wisdom for once you're in a relationship, how to know if that relationship is, is healthy or not. And uh, just for fun, uh, as we look through these things, let's, let's just notice them in terms of uh, things that are green flags and red flags. So a green flag means... means, means go. Right, right, right. Very, very good. And then a red flag means... Stop. Stop. Ladies... If your guy has red flags, or guys, if your lady has red flags, you know what you need to do? Run for the hills. <laughs> so now, uh, let's look at three green flags, uh, or three, uh, three green flag qualities uh, that can help you know, should I date this person? And conveniently, they all start 
with the letter C. So uh, let's start just here by looking at the first couple of verses of Song of Solomon. So uh, verses 2 and 3. This feels a little funny to read out loud. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to do it because it's in the Bible. <laughs> Richard says, push some emotion in it. Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> Actually, I don't know that I'm going to do my best. <laughs> Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. So this is the very beginning of the song. Uh, the song. Uh, the, 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 the song. You can see that reading that made me very tongue-tied. You know? A little, 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 little nervous here. Anyway, no, this is uh, the beginning of the song, and it begins with a crush. It's a crush. She's noticed that there's a guy out there, and she's begun to daydream about how nice it would be to, you know, kind of, kind of, if he took interest in her. And of course, uh, you know, what we're looking at is is pretty poetic. It's a little over the top. Uh, You know, if you're a lady in the room tonight, I just, I would not recommend that uh, one of the first things you say to a guy you're interested in is that you're pleased by the fragrance of his perfumes. Not a very good idea. But there is something to notice here. Uh, Notice that in verse 3, she says, your name is like perfume poured out. Uh, in the Bible, a person's name speaks to their character. Uh, their name is kind of like the drawer handle for who they are. Um, and over the years, um, there have been a number of different studies that have been done about what men and women find desirable in a partner. One particular study I saw about speed dating reported that for men, the number one characteristic that's important to them. Can anyone guess what this is? Visual. Visual. Any other guesses? Smell. Smell, okay. Uh, that is not the right answer. Good looks? Yeah, you guys are right. It's physical attractiveness. That's what the surveys say is most uh, desirable for, for men. And other studies show that women also put a high value on good looks. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Man, Richard, this is the most excited I've ever seen you for a Thrive Talk. You're sitting in the front. <laughs> Anyway, uh, there's nothing wrong with good looks, but what the song says attracts her to this guy is his character. His character smells good. You know, he's got an aroma. He's got a reputation for being a man of integrity. And all the other girls, by the way, notice. So uh, just, you know, help me out here. Give me some things uh, that are examples of kind of what character looks like. If someone has good character, what, what are some traits that they have? Honesty? Okay. Yeah. Elena? Generous, gracious, kindness. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chivalry. Chivalry. Okay. You know, some people say chivalry is dead. I don't know. Uh, we might have to ask our, the, the, the females among us if they agree. Um, I hope it's not dead. Anyone else? Bo, did you have your hand up? Endurance. Endurance? Yeah, okay. Was there someone over here? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Okay. Yeah, you guys are way ahead of me. Uh, yeah, those are all, all great. And, you know, conveniently, um, if you ever were wondering what good character looks like, the Bible gives you a list of what godly character is. And here it is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, let me just let me pull on a few of these for a minute. So patience. In a relationship, a person of character who sees your flaws is not going to use that as ammunition to attack you. 
If a person is patient in a relationship, then they they love you as you are. They have patience for where you're at. And, but sometimes that may mean calling them out on, on their sin. Or if you're dating, breaking up with them if they refuse to grow up. So that's patience. Or kindness. Ladies, if a guy is not kind to you, if he uses his words to tear you down, to manipulate your emotions, if he's got a violent temper, if he pushes you to cross physical boundaries that you know that you shouldn't, or if he's abusive to you in any way, that's a huge, huge, huge red flag. And you need to break up with him right now. Guys, same thing. (laughs) If you want to know whether someone's kind, just watch the way that they treat others. You know, watch the way that they treat the checker at the grocery store or the driver who accidentally cuts them off or the weak and the vulnerable. And especially, watch the way that they treat their family because the way that they treat their family is probably going to be the way that they treat you. So kindness. Another one is faithfulness. This is sort of asking the question, is this a person of commitment? Is this someone who can hold a job? Are they responsible? Do you have confidence that they would sacrifice for a spouse or a family. And then gentleness is uh, another one on the list. I really love this one uh, because you may know there's, there's only one place in the Bible where Jesus tells you what his heart is really like. And it's in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29, where he says, I am gentle and humble in heart, which means that a Jesus person is a gentle person. That's uh, related to self-control. Uh, there are a lot of things that could be said here, but one thing that self-control includes is controlling your ego. Uh, you know, if someone is proud or arrogant, they may not be the best person to be in a relationship with. So these are all just different examples where you can kind of pull on some of these different things that the Bible looks at as examples of good character. And I know, of course, tonight that no one, none of us in this room would ever claim uh, that we've mastered these different areas of character. But uh, consider these simply kind of arrows to aim, or targets to aim at. Um, and these are things to think about as you're possibly considering, is this someone that I should be dating? So to conclude, the first C is character. Uh, if the guy who's caught your eye or the gal who is your pal is someone who consistently demonstrates godly character in the form of things like what we looked at, then that is a green flag. But if they don't demonstrate godly character, that is a Red flag. And you know what you have to do if it's a red flag. Run for the hills. Run for the hills. hills. (laughs) All right, number two. Let's keep reading. So in verse seven, we find that the girl is still daydreaming about her crush. And her friends happen to overhear her. Here's what she says. Verse seven. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman besides the flocks of your friends? So in other words, you know what she's really saying? She's saying, gee, I'd really love to get to know this guy a little bit. How can I do that? So the friends uh, give her some advice. She says, verse 8, If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. Now look what we discover here. Notice that, the, uh, that her man is a shepherd. He's got a job. Notice that there. And he's found, uh, he's a man who's found among the sheep. Which, you know, I don't need to tell you this most likely, but sheep is one of the Bible's favorite metaphors for Christians. So what do the friends advise the girl to do here? They say, if you want to get to know this guy, then follow the sheep. Go to church. <laughs> 
because that's where this guy spends his time. Of all the, so of all the green flags, all the red flags uh, that matter, th- this second one I think is the most important. Ladies and gentlemen, if the guy who's caught your eye or the gal who is your pal is not a Christian, then please don't date them. The reason that this is so important, this is not because there's some kind of like conspiracy among pastors to like pair up Christians to breed more Christians. <laughs> it's something like that. It's, the reason this is important is because if Jesus is really God, then to be a Christian is the most important thing about you. And following Jesus is the most important thing about you. That changes everything. It changes your value system. It changes how you make decisions. It's going to change how you raise children. <laughs> you know, it's going to change and, and, and fundamentally determine what things you're aiming at in life. So, corollary, if you marry a non-Christian, what that means is that you're choosing to yoke yourself to a person who is totally out of alignment with the very core of who you are. It's a big deal. Now, you might say, well, okay, sure, but yeah, is that really that big of a deal? Well, okay, first of all, the answer is yes, because if you marry a non-Christian, I just want you to know that you're going against not just wisdom, but scripture itself. Uh, two verses for you. One is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. Um, sometimes it's asked, you know, where does the Bible say don't marry a non-Christian? Well, here's one example. This is where Paul says that a widow is free to remarry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. And it's true, you know, this is a verse that's specifically in the context of talking about widows, but it just it wouldn't really make a lot of sense if Paul were to say this to widows if it didn't also apply to all Christians, number one. But then there's another verse here. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. This is probably the most famous one, which just says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. I mean, it's common here to ask, well, yoked together, you know, what does that have to do with marriage? Marriage is even mentioned here. So how, what does this have to do with marriage? Well, the reason we know it applies to marriage is because this word yoked, you know, refers, of course, to the kind of the wooden device that you would put over a pair of animals so that they could plow uh, and step with each other. This shares the very same root word that Jesus uses for marriage when he says, you might have heard this at a wedding before, what God has joined together, let not man separate. The word here for joined together literally means to be yoked with. So when the Bible says do not be yoked together with unbelievers, that certainly means don't marry them. Now, just, you know, by the way, some of you might actually even come from homes where maybe like one of your parents is a Christian Maybe another one of them isn't. And just you know, just know that if that's a particular thing that you wonder about, go read the, uh, the chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7. It actually, it actually speaks to that kind of situation. You know, what happens if maybe you got married before either of you were Christians? You know, what do you do in a marriage where you have one spouse who's a believer and one spouse who, who isn't? There's actually some other places that speak to that, and that's one chapter if you're curious. So one reason that this matters is because Scripture directly speaks against it. But it's also a big deal practically. You know, some, some time ago I read an article about why the Bible says you shouldn't marry a non-Christian. And the author made the point that, uh, well, I thought it was a very good point. And just basically the point was if you marry a non-Christian, there are going to be one of two things that will happen. Um, either the, the, the Christian spouse will grow in their relationship with God while the other one doesn't. And that's going to widen the breach in the relationship between the spouses. Or the Christian spouse will go closer to their partner while drifting away from God. So you see what happens. Either God gets pushed out or the non-believing spouse gets pushed out. And both of those are a recipe for disaster. So, just, so the point is just don't, don't try it. Don't, you don't do it. If you think that somehow your case is a special case and you can resist the temptation to drift in your faith while dating a non-Christian, just, just remember that King Solomon, 
the wisest king who ever lived, and who saw God twice, had his heart turned astray by his non-believing wives. And maybe you're wiser than King Solomon, but I wouldn't count on it. (laughs) So having a person who shares your faith is hugely important. Um, It's important that that faith also be real. Um, You know, we live in a country um, where in some areas, maybe not so much in the Pacific Northwest, but even, even here, there is such a thing as cultural Christianity. And I would just encourage you, um, if someone says they're a Christian, just be sure that they mean it. You know, be sure that they're genuinely committed to their faith and that it's, uh, that it's, it's the most important thing in their life. <laughs> and that can look like a lot of things, but at the very least, one thing that ought to look like is regular involvement in a church. You know, notice here that both the guy and the girl, they have flocks, <laughs> it says. She's got a flock of goats, and he's got a flock of sheep. Which, you know, kind of metaphorically tells you that they're serving. They're not just casual Christian Christmas and Easter Christians, but they're actively ministering in the body of Christ. I mean, Jake last week uh, said, look for someone who loves Jesus and loves Jesus' church. Because the way that you treat Jesus' bride is the way that you're going to treat your spouse. So look for someone who loves Jesus and loves Jesus' church. And by the way, just the other reason... That church is so important here is because church means community. Uh, You know, this is a love poem, but you'll notice that it's actually not just a guy and a girl who are the only characters. There are friends in the poem as well. Uh, And we'll say a little bit more about this next week. But for now, just notice that the guy and the girl are not pursuing each other in isolation from community. Their relationship actually grows where the sheep are in the context of a healthy biblical church community. So the second C is church. Here we go again. If the guy who's caught your eye or the gal who is your pal loves Jesus and is dedicated to the church, then that is a a green flag. But if it's not, that is a red flag. And if so, you know what you need to do. Run for the hills. Okay, next. Now, uh, moving to this next thing, I just... There's, there's, there's a word of caution here. There's, a, there's sort of a, a beware here. Beware uh, because there actually can be an overreaction to everything I just said. Um, now, just because someone loves Jesus and loves his church doesn't mean that you should date them. <laughs> I hope this is obvious. But at some level, uh, you, you, there, there has to be at least some kind of chemistry between two people. Uh, for there to be a healthy relationship, which is C number three. Now, back for a minute uh, here uh, to chapter one. Let's actually jump a little bit um, back in time to verses five and six. Uh, This is the the woman speaking. Verse five. Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me. And made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard, I had to neglect. So she's got a little uh, soliloquy here where she's kind of musing about herself. Uh, And so if you wanted to sort of paraphrase what I think she's saying here, she's saying that, you know, I'm really drawn to this guy, but I'm a little worried that he's just not going to be all that into me because I don't feel like I fit the culture's standards of beauty. Now notice here four times she says that she's dark, you know, she's a little, little sunburned because she's been working out in the vineyards all day. But now just jump, jump down a little further to verse 9. 
Verse 9, um, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots, uh, chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. <laughs> I just think it's so funny that we're reading these verses. It's so, so over the top, you guys. Come on. I mean, I hope that if any of you guys are dating, that you're not, you know, this ooey-gooey romantic. That just, you know, might scare someone away. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, um, this verse is significant because this is the first time in the song that the guy speaks up. And notice what he's doing. He's actually speaking to her insecurities. Um, in ancient times, if you wanted to sabotage the enemy's army, what you do is you'd, you'd let loose a mare because at the sight of a beautiful female horse, all of the enemy's stallions would just get distracted and go berserk. So, so what he's saying here is he's saying, you think you're dark and unlovely. I think you're one in a million. Everyone say, aww. <laughs> aww, so sweet. <laughs> Now, whatever else this is, you've you got to admit, this, this is a comment about her physical attractiveness. Um, the last chapter in the book of Proverbs, you may know, offers some counsel to an unmarried man for how to identify a wife of noble character. Uh, and one of the counsels it gives is actually to not place too much weight on physical beauty. Uh, it says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. But Song of Solomon balances this. And it does that by reminding us that there ought to at least be some level of physical attraction present. That's an important thing to think about. Another thing that uh, chemistry can consist of is, is friendship. Let me just give you a verse for that. Look at verse uh, 16 in chapter 2. Um, here the girl says about, about him, she says, How handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. Now, of course, handsome, you know, that, that refers to physical appearance. But, but charming refers to personality. Another way you can translate that is pleasant. She finds his personality pleasant. She meshes with him. She feels safe and comfortable with him. And it's a sign that they have a genuine friendship. Now, by the way, uh, this, this is where our culture can just get dating so backwards. Because our culture's script on dating is the following. The culture says, find someone that you find interesting and attractive. And be sure that you've slept with them in the first two weeks, maybe even on the first date. Now, next week, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about the area of boundaries. But for now, one of the reasons why the Bible is against sex before marriage and for healthy boundaries while dating is because it knows that if you jump to physical intimacy without first achieving whole life intimacy, then you're setting yourself up for a relationship that's a house of cards. And I once heard a statistic that said that... <clears throat> One of the number one reasons why sex enters into a dating relationship is to keep the relationship going. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you that there's not actually a, a viable foundation to that relationship. Um, here's a quote. Uh, this is from a book by Tim and Kathy Keller about why friendship and marriage it matters so much. Uh, so it says, the principle that your spouse should be capable of becoming your best friend is a game changer when you address the question of compatibility in a prospective spouse. If you think of marriage largely in terms of erotic love, then compatibility means sexual chemistry and appeal. If you think of marriage largely as a way to move into the kind of social status in life you desire, then compatibility means being part of the desired social class. The problem with these factors is that they are not durable. Physical attractiveness will wane no matter how hard you work to delay its departure. 
He's basically saying that, you know, one day we're all going to grow up and get old and fat. Sorry about that. It's just the truth. But anyway, he goes on. Uh, and socioeconomic status, same thing. Unfortunately, it can change almost overnight. When people think they have found compatibility based on these things, they often make the painful discovery that they have built their relationship on unstable ground. A woman, quote, lets herself go, or a man loses his job, and the compatibility foundation falls apart. So you can see how friendship really, really matters. What if instead of besides just physical attraction, even though that, 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 that does that has some significance, but what if relationships were built on friendship? So that then when your bodies do age and all of the sex appeal is gone, you'll wake up not next to a total stranger, but to a deep soul friend who knows you and loves you, warts and all. So just ask yourself, is this a person that I genuinely enjoy spending time with? Is this a person that, you know, where we can have fun together? Is this a person that I can see as a genuine friend? And then just one final element that you could kind of put under this category of chemistry, and it's what you might call a spark. <laughs> you know, of course, there's probably lots of beautiful young women or young men out there, and, and there's probably a lot of beautiful young women and handsome young men who are also Christian. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you should just date any one of them. You know, going back to verse 9, when he says that she's like a mare among stallions, that she's one in a million, he's saying there, there's, there's a spark. There's something about her that particularly draws him. Now, uh, here's my request. I would kindly ask you not to overthink this. <laughs> Please don't overthink this because, as we all know, romance is a very mysterious thing. And sometimes it's just not immediately obvious what God may or may not be sparking <laughs> between two people. But, uh, you know, I, I, I nevertheless bring it up for two reasons. Reason number one, it's a good reminder uh, to be cautious if someone is a serial dater. If you are someone who just has to be in a relationship and is constantly moving from girlfriend to girlfriend or boyfriend to boyfriend, it's probably not healthy. And if you're the girlfriend or you're the boyfriend, well, just beware that someone isn't just treating you as a means to an end. But the other reason that I, just, I bring up this, this, this last idea under chemistry is I want to actually conclude this talk tonight with a word of hope. Um, you know, look, I, I'm sure... It's probably not a surprise to many of us that sometimes dating can feel like a really intimidating thing. Um, sometimes it feel like a hard thing. And, and I'm very aware that as we open up this topic um, tonight, that there's going to be many of us for whom some of our very deepest wounds have actually come in, in this area. They've happened because of relationships. You know, one type of wound may be because of lines that were crossed in previous relationships, and now you look back and just really regret that. And if that's you, can I, just, can I just simply point you back to the truth of what God's Word says? In Romans 8, chapter 1, it says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is nothing, nothing that you may have done in a previous relationship that God cannot forgive. And there's also grace for where you're at right now. You know, perhaps as you've been listening to this talk, you've been thinking not so much about whether Mr. X or Ms. X is a good person to date, but whether you are a good person to date. And maybe you're realizing, oh my goodness, maybe there's some things I need to work on. And that kind of conviction is okay. That can be good because, you know, it's been said, marriage isn't so much about finding the right person as it is becoming the right person. So just know, you know, if that's where you're at, you know, just know that there's grace for where, where you're at. 
But then just, you know, there's another kind of wound. And, and that wound may have come not because of what did happen in a relationship, but maybe because of what didn't. You know, perhaps it was because someone wounded your heart instead of protecting it. Or perhaps because you've really wanted to date and haven't been asked out. Or because you've tried dating, but you feel like you just keep on striking out and you're getting to a point of feeling like you're losing hope. Uh, in his book on marriage and dating, a uh, different pastor, John Mark Comer, points out that in Bible times, uh, one of the most popular places of romance, uh, you know, they didn't have you know, church back then, but they did have wells. If you read the Bible, there's a lot of romance that happens around wells. So, uh, you know, think, for example, of uh, the servant of Abraham and Rebekah. Where did they meet? They met at a well. Or Jacob met Rachel at a well. And in fact, you know, interesting, even Jesus met his bride, or at least, you know, one member thereof at a well. You remember the Samaritan woman? Happened, that story happens there. So here, here, here's a question for you. Do you think that all of those random encounters were really just random encounters? <laughs> I mean, do, 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 you, do you look at some of those stories and think, well, you know, okay, these people probably got so frustrated trying to find their special someone, so they just they, they said one day, I'm just going to go to a well, and I'm going to point to the nearest person with a water jar and just say, I choose you, Pikachu. No. No. They didn't. Um, one, of my, one of my very favorite stories, this is probably my favorite story about marriage in the whole Bible, is the story of Isaac and Rebekah in Genesis 24. And if you know the chapter, um, you know that Abraham commissions his servant to go travel to a distant country to find a bride for his son, Isaac. And the servant prays to God and says, God... May it be that when I come to this well of water, a young woman would approach me, offer me a drink of water, and then she would offer to water my camels as well. And when she does all three of these things, then I will know that she is the bride for my master's son, Isaac. Talk about asking for a sign. <laughs> but then it happens. Rebecca comes to the well. She offers him a drink of water. She offers water to his camels. And the servant's ecstatic. He says, she's the one. <laughs> but my favorite part in this whole story is actually what happens later. Um, the servant goes back to speak to Rebecca's family because he's seeking permission for him to take her back to be Isaac's wife. And when they hear the servant's crazy stories of all the ways that God has shown up, they simply say, this is from the Lord. This is from the Lord. And by the way, men, do you know what Isaac is doing this whole time? When the bride arrives, they find him out in the field, and it says he's meditating, which some people think refers to prayer. Now, I don't believe in the idea of, quote-unquote, the one. I don't believe that there's only one person out there that you could ever marry, because the way that you know that you've met the one is you marry them. <laughs> but, but, what I want you to know tonight is that God is a good God. He's a good God. And he's also a romantic. And his matchmaking is a million times better than Tinder or Bumble or, you know, eHarmony. <laughs> and if his best for you includes getting married someday, then he is more than able to bring the perfect partner into your life. And when that person comes, he will make that plain. So what does this mean for you? It means that if you're not married, the most important thing that you can be doing is to pursue Jesus. 
um, I think Candace said earlier tonight, um, something I thought was just so good, that romantic relationships are, are, you know, they're a wonderful thing, they're a gift from God. But they're not the most important thing. They're not the most important thing. Learn to seek contentment in Jesus. Learn what it means to trust him. Or, uh, as John Mark Homer puts it in his book, he says uh, that God was at the well long before Isaac and Rebekah. And before you ever get to your well, God's there ahead of you. He's involved. Your job is to meditate in the field, to draw water for the camels, to make a wise decision when the time comes, and then to enjoy every day you get. So, there you go. Those are three C's for dating. Character, church, chemistry. And uh, that brings us to the end of talk number one on dating. Um, Next week, we'll come back to Song of Solomon for wisdom for being in a relationship. What a healthy relationship looks like and what a healthy relationship looks like as it grows. Uh, But for now, um, we've got a little bit of time, and I wanted just to take a couple minutes and end with some Q&A.